You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. This summer, uh, we got a call that Christy had cancer. And so I went and took them a, a meal and found out that they had just been at the beach. This was completely unexpected. And, and she said, but we're going to beat it. And then a couple of weeks later, a few weeks later, I was on vacation in Arizona. Just a few weeks. And I get a phone call from her son that said, they told us to come say goodbye. It's, we're at the end. But cancer had progressed that quickly. And so when we arrived back the, that day, I went to the hospital and I saw Christy and her husband in the hospital and, and she, she looked like cancer was winning. And it was, it was heartbreaking and yet she had this hope. She had this, this hope in the midst of it, a hope that she would be healed, but also hope that if she wasn't, where she would be going. And so uh, I talked to Christy and I talked to her husband, I talked to her sons and, and to her family and, and throughout that they had hope. And uh, I don't know if you picked up in the story uh, that she's been progressing through and it's been amazing. She is uh, recovering greatly and she's in the midst of the chemo and she is actually here right now. I believe her over, I can't quite see, but there's Chrissy right there. And so we're excited. They didn't even think she'd ever leave the hospital again. And she is here worshiping with you this morning. And so as we go, yeah, it is awesome. We're excited that we get to worship with her. And as we go into the season of Advent, we, as we were thinking about stories uh, of hope, we, she was the first one that popped out, was the story of Christy. So we have this Christmas season. I'm so excited. I love Christmas. Um, I know many of you do. I got a question for you. How many of you already put up some Christmas decorations? All right, about half, all right. How many have watched a Hallmark Christmas movie already? All right, I've been watching those for a month now. Um, I'm excited. I love Christmas. Uh, I'm wearing red just because it's Christmas time. I love it. Um, been listening to Christmas music. Someone came in the office and they're like, why is that on? And I said, because it's Christmas time. They're like, we haven't had Thanksgiving yet. And I was like, oh, it's close enough. And, and so I love Christmas. And so I was thinking this week about some Christmas traditions. Why do we hang stockings uh, under, at the chimney? Why do we bring in a tree, a, a dead tree into our house? Why do we do do these things, and as I was diving into that, I came across some unusual Christmas traditions, and I went home, and I told Sarah and the kids, actually, I, had, I told, called them, and I was like, hey, if you guys are out, swing by the office, I gotta tell you these, and so they came, and they are just, I, I, they're great, I had to share them with you, right? Okay, so <laughs> here's the first one. In the Czech Republic, um, uh, single women, all the single ladies, all the single ladies, all right, all the single ladies will take their shoe off on Christmas Eve, throw it behind their back, and towards the front door. If it lands with the toe facing the door, they're going to get married this year. If it lands with the heel facing the door, they're going to be watching Hallmark movies by themselves this year. All right? And so that is the tradition. Now, you know if you're going to be married or not. In Norway, it's believed that Christmas Eve actually coincides with this, with, uh, this holiday where witches come and they torment your family. And so it's tradition that you will hide your broom in your house so the witch cannot come in your home, steal your broom, and ride off. So uh, on Christmas Eve, you put your broom under your bed. Put it, hide it in a closet, uh, just in case. There's nothing worse than Christmas morning getting there and a witch has stole your broom, right? All right. Um, in Venezuela, 
The week before Christmas, on Christmas, they have early Christmas mass. Um, it's called every day, and so you go to early Christmas mass. But in Caracas, the, the capital, it's traditional that you go to early Christmas mass on roller skates. And so they actually close down all the city streets. And the traffic can't go uh, from 8 a.m. and before because people are roller skating on the streets to get to the church. Um, in uh, Japan, do you know what the cr- traditional Christmas meal is? KFC, all right, because of a very witty uh, ad campaign that KFC did long ago when, when Christmas kind of swooped into Japan, they said, you know what the Westerners eat on, on Christmas Day? Kentucky Fried Chicken. And so all the Japanese want to eat it. It is so uh, popular that they decorate the Colonel Sanders, and you have to get a reservation if you want to eat at KFC on Christmas Day. Um, then, okay, so here, here's my two favorite ones, all right? In Iceland, these just cracked me up. I've been laughing and giggling about this for all week. All right. In Iceland, instead of Santa coming to visit you, you have the Christmas dwarves. They are called the Yule Lads, and there's 13 of these Yule Lads, and they're mischievous. Excuse me. They're mischievous. They do little pranks to the kids, and then they leave them a gift. And so these Yule Lads come, but my favorite part about them is uh, their, their names are descriptive of who they are, right? Of what they do. Just like in the Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, there's Happy. Who's Happy? There's Bashful. Who's Bashful? So these dwarves have the same theme behind their names. And so get this. Uh, on one night, the kids are, are visited by the elf called Doorway Sniffer, and he sniffs the doorways as he enters in. There's the spoon licker, and he comes and he licks all the spoons in the house, and then the kids have to wash them the next morning. Who comes up with the spoon licker? All right. There's the sausage swiper, who steals all the kids' sausages. There's the candle stealer, um, that little sneaky elf. He comes in and he steals your candles. Um, here's one of my favorite names, the curd gobbler, and he eats all the cheese curds. And so you wake up Christmas morning, you got a gift, but all my cheese is gone. All right. Oh, that curd gobbler got me again. All right. And then there's the window peeper. And his whole job, he just comes and watches the kids sleep through the window. How creepy is that? Right? And so you have this, this dwarf that, or this elf, a dwarf, I don't, same thing, beats me. I don't know. It's my people. Because uh, we're all little, the krills. Um, and so uh, they come and they peep in the window and then they leave a gift outside. And so that's in Iceland. Right? Now here's my favorite. In Catalonia, um, for some reason, they have the Christmas log, and it's a, it's a log that they get, and they put a face on it, and then they have a, a blanket on the backside of the log, and they put it in the middle of the dinner table. Throughout the month of December, uh, leading up to Christmas, they feed it uh, nuts and berries and sweets, and you feed the log, and then uh, and you, you encourage the, the Christmas log to grow. Then on Christmas Eve, the kids all gather around, this is a special, intimate moment, where they grab sticks and they beat the log, right? And they beat the log until the log defecates their presence. And so uh, the, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tradition, right? And so they, they beat the log and then they ask the kids to leave and then the, the parents will hide the gifts underneath the blanket. And then they come in and say, look what the log has left you. And they lift up the blanket from behind the log and there's all your gifts. There's a PlayStation. And it's like, yay, thank you Christmas log for pooping out a PlayStation. And so this is actually like a tradition. And so uh, we're looking at what we could do in our family uh, to add those. And so I got ourselves a Christmas log. So I'm pretty excited uh, uh, about this year to be able to have my, my Christmas log out on the table. So if you guys want to come over for dinner, you, it'll be awesome. 
All right? Um, so, they have these traditions. One of the traditions, uh, I had uh, many Christmas traditions, as you might have. One of them for us growing up was the Advent. Our family would gather together on Sunday, and my mom or dad would read something. Sometimes it was a passage, sometimes it was from an Advent book, but my sister and I got to light the candle, and sometimes we'd sing a song around the piano, but it was a special Advent time. It was a special thing that, that we did every year, and, and we weren't alone. Many of you probably did it. Many churches do it. They've done it for centuries upon centuries. This idea of Advent is to help us focus uh, and to look forward to the birth of Jesus Christ, to the celebration of Emmanuel, God with us. And so in the Western Christianity, it's the four Sundays leading up to Christmas that you would celebrate this. And, and so it allows us for during this time of hecticness and craziness and to be able to focus on the true reason for the season, to focus on Jesus Christ. And each one of the candles, each one of the weeks has a, a theme. There's, there's uh, hope, peace, joy, and love. Uh, these themes are ones that we focus on and, and that we can look at that Jesus brought to the world, that he brought hope and peace, joy, and love. And so we would gather together and we would light the first candle, and this would be the candle of hope. And so that's what we're going to look at today and, and throughout this month. We're going to be looking at Advent and this week we're looking at hope and, and the following weeks we'll look at peace and joy and love. But today we look at the word hope. Hope can be in, in, used in several different ways in our culture, in our context. I could say I hope the Broncos win the Super Bowl next year. And then I can also say I hope to see you next Sunday at church. Both of those I use the word hope but but the reality is the foundation, the context is completely different. To hope to see the Broncos win the Super Bowl is something that I have no control over and it's probably not going to happen. That there's very little chance of that happening. The team's not that good and so there's not much chance that this would be a reality. But it's something I could hope for. Something I want to make happen. But then on the flip side to say I hope to see you next Sunday at church, that's something that I can expect to happen. That is something that I can look forward to. That's something that, uh, barring a great illness or an injury, I'll be here next week. I love being here and I want to be here. And so I can hope to see you next Sunday knowing that I will be here. It's this hope in the future, but it's a hope in the future that you know that you're expecting to come. This is what the Bible talks about when it talks about hope. Is This is the biblical idea of hope. It's a confident expectation in what is to come. Oftentimes, I don't know about you, but hope and faith seem to get intermixed. Uh, sometimes I wonder, well, what's the, the difference between hope and faith, or, are, or is there? Are they the same? And so, when we look into that, they are very different. They're two distinct things, and yet they're interrelated. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, Now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So faith and hope are listed as two of the things. So they are distinctly different. Faith is a complete trust or confidence in something. Faith is based on the past. I have faith that Jesus Christ came to earth. That he, that he died on the cross, that he rose again. I have faith that he ascended into heaven. I have faith in this, that I have full faith in what has happened in the past. And because of that death and that resurrection, my sins have been forgiven. That he took uh, as the atoning sacrifice, he took my sins, your sins, and he took them upon himself and he conquered death, he conquered Satan. 
And I have faith in that. But then hope is based on what's ahead, what's the future. I have hope, a confident expectation in eternity with God because of what Jesus did. I have hope in, in my future. I have hope in the, re, in the second coming of Jesus Christ. We have hope is based on reality, not just a feeling. Is based on the promises that we find in the Bible. Faith and hope uh, are built together, and faith builds off of, or hope builds off of faith. But we have faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, and because of that, we have hope in eternity with him. As I was looking at hope, I thought, okay, so what does hope mean? What does it mean to, to have hope? To, I have hope in that. What, what does that do for us? What does the Bible show us that hope, hope brings? And, and for an individual, the first thing that we saw was hope gives us that we have hope for spiritual forgiveness or righteousness. Psalm 39, 7 through 8 says, But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. Save me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of fools. That is hope is that he will be saved from his transgressions. This is not the same hope that I have that the, I hope the Broncos win. That's just this willy-nilly, maybe God will do it. No, no, it's a, a confident expectation that God will save me from my sins. A confident expectation that even though all the mistakes I make, even though the, the sins I've committed, I, will be forgive, I am forgiven of those and I will be in heaven with Jesus Christ forever. We have this uh, hope in spiritual forgiveness. We also have hope as a source of our joy. Psalm 71, I want to kind of look at that psalm for here in a minute. Uh, in this psalmist, verse 1 says, In the Lord I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, rescue me and deliver me. Turn your ear to me and save me. In you, Lord, I take refuge. Your righteousness, rescue me, deliver me. And you see, the psalmist has been being attacked by an enemy being pursued, trying to kill him. This is the, way, the reality in the midst of this psalm, that the enemy is actively pursuing, wanting to end his life. And he says, I take my refuge in you, Lord. That in your righteousness, rescue me, deliver me. He's calling out. Perhaps some of you feel like that or have felt like that. Not that an enemy is actively trying to kill you, but that there are attacks in your world. That there are hardships in your life. That that diagnosis that you got a call from a doctor says, go ahead and come on in. We need to check you into the hospital. That you think, wow, what, what's going on? My world has completely changed. Maybe that, that attack of a, a relationship that's falling apart, that you were just blindsided. You didn't know that it was falling apart, and it is. That you find out you've lost your job, or you've been searching, and you can't find one. That you're trying to, to have this relationship with your child and, and everything, you, you take one step forward and they take one step back and it seems like you just can't connect. That you're crying out in the midst of all this hardship. You're crying out to the Lord. The psalmist continues, says, Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the commands to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. 
Deliver me, my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of those who are evil and cruel. That he's crying out. He's being pursued. His life is on the line. He's crying out, God, you deliver me. You're the source that'll help me in this relationship. You're the source that'll help me in, the, in this diagnosis. You're the source that'll help me in, in this life situation that I'm facing, in this addiction that I can't seem to break. And then it says, verse five, for you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. You read those earlier passages and you're like, man, this guy is getting pursued. They're trying to kill him. How does he have so much peace and confidence in the Lord that the, the Lord is his refuge? Because of that verse five, his hope is in the Lord. His hope is what he's looking forward to. His hope is in the Lord and this is where it's been since his youth that he has always had confidence that God's got him. It goes on to say in verse 14 15, as for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous deeds, of your saving acts all day long, though I know not how to relate to them all. Because of this hope, he can sing praises. The guy is being pursued and pursued by someone to kill him. And he's singing praises. Why? Because he has hope. Hope in the future of what is to come. No matter what happens that next day, if the enemy captures him or not, he has hope in the future. It says in Jeremiah 17 that we also in hope we have a blessed life. It says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. A lot of people might take this verse and twist it. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, who's hope in the Lord. All I have to do is hope in God and he'll get me that car. All I have to do is hope in the Lord and, and I'll be able to get that promotion. All I got to do is hope in the Lord and, and my future spouse will walk through those doors. All I got to do is hope in the Lord and, and everything will be made whole and made healed. It's not what it's saying. This isn't a blessing of materialism. This is a blessing that we are blessed because we are in the presence of God. That if we have hope in the Lord, hope in the future of eternity with him, hope in the reality and faith that because Jesus died and rose again and rose to, to heaven, that we are able to have the Holy Spirit in us. That the Holy Spirit, part of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, that the Holy Spirit is inside us communicating with God and with Jesus nonstop, and that's inside you. We have the presence of the Lord in us. This is where we have hope. This is how we are blessed, that we are in God's presence. The New Testament talks about this passage, talking about hope of the blessed hope. And it's a very uniquely way that's worded this blessed hope, and it's talking about the second coming. Titus chapter 2 says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Jesus, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. This passage is amazing. There's three different parts. The last part saying that this is what Jesus did. He gave of himself to make us righteous. He gave of himself so that we would be in, uh, that we would have this hope in, in a future in of eternity. And because of that, we have the blessed hope, which is that Jesus will come again. 
And if Jesus doesn't come again before I pass away, I have the blessed hope that I will see Jesus in heaven for all eternity, that I have this hope. And so in light of that hope, how should I live? Titus tells us to get rid of the ungodliness, the ways of the world, that we should live expectingly that we will see Jesus Christ again. We have this blessed hope. So often when we look at hope, it's often even a word that we coin with the opposite, with, with the anti, that we're hopeless, that we've lost all hope. And, and, and sometimes that's because we're placing our hope in the wrong areas, that we're placing our hope in doctors or we're placing our hope in, in our degree, we're placing our hope in, in our relationships, we're placing our hope in our job, in material possessions, all of which can let us down. There's a story uh, about a British journalist named Malcolm Muggeridge. Malcolm was a famous journalist. He was a famous atheist. And so he wrote in many journals throughout his life. He also wrote in Time Magazine. And he was very famous at, at, in, in Britain in his life. Well, later on in his life, when he was close to dying, he was sharing, a, he had, was at a breakfast in Washington, D.C., and he was the main speaker. And he shared about his life adventures and, and what he had seen and what he had done. And then he eventually got to the current day and, and he was sharing the, his view of the outcasts of the world. And he saw many negative things and negative things in our culture and so forth. And, and when he finished his speech, there's a question and answer time. And one person said, Mr. Mudgridge, you seem very pessimistic. You have a very pessimistic outlook on society and on our times. And he said, oh, sir, I could not be more optimistic than I am because my hope is in Jesus Christ alone. And he let that sink in with the room. And then he added this, just think, if the early church had pinned its hopes on the Roman Empire. The early church, their hopes was in Jesus Christ, in eternity with him. Not in the Roman Empire. It would be easy to put all your hopes in the Roman Empire. Look at this mighty force that could never be conquered, never be taken down. And it was. It'd be easy for us to put our hopes in, in, in a relationship, in a spouse, in our health, in our job, in, in finances, in a degree, in, in whatever this is that, that we're holding on to. But all of those could be taken away. All of those could fail. Except for Jesus Christ. If we put our hope in Jesus Christ, our hope in what he, our faith in what he did on the cross leads to our hope in our future and our eternity with him. This is where we need to place our hope. So those times when we feel hopeless, those times where we feel like all is lost, let us look and see where are we basing our hope? Is it in the everyday? Is it in things of this world? Or are we basing our hope in Jesus Christ? This morning we have communion at four different stations. And, and if, the, if the communion ushers would be able to take the communion out to, oh, it looks like they're right there. Um, we have communion at the four different stations around the room. And I want to encourage you, we're going to take an extended communion time this morning, a, a time where I'm encouraging everybody to go and in the midst, take communion and then go. And there's two giant papers on either side uh, of the communion tray that writes hope, that has the word written hope. And I want you to take a moment to write, where is your hope? What is your hope in? What are you hopeful for? 
When you hear of hope, what does that connect with you? Maybe it's a word or a sentence. What does hope mean to you? For me, I have hope in eternity with Jesus Christ. For me, when I think about hope, I think about my kids. That they, the three of them have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and I have hope for them for eternity with Jesus. I have hope that God is with me today and tomorrow and the next day and every day that God gives me. Where is your hope? In the last hour, several people wrote, I have my hope in, heal, in healed health, hope in salvation, hope in God walking with me through this hard time, hope that I'm not alone, hope that God is with me. So this morning, we're going to take a little longer for communion, and I just want to encourage you to go and write down what does hope mean to you? Where do you have hope this morning? Let me go ahead and pray. Lord, I pray that we each have hope in you, that you are the source of our salvation, uh, you are the source of our salvation, and you are the source of our hope. God, let us be able to reflect on that, that because of your death on the cross and your resurrection, that we have faith in that, because of that we then too have hope in a future. Hope in a healed body, hope in a peaceful state, hope in a renewed relationship, hope in you. God, we lift this prayer up to you. We thank you for being the source of our hope. In your name, amen.